It's one of those really kind of grey, wintry afternoons. I said I'd meet Jeanette Winterson for a cup of tea because actually we'd bumped into each other at the Woman's Hour studio. And the fact we were meant to be at Woman's Hour talking about Christmas, we ended up talking politics and how the world sometimes is a crap place. It was much more interesting than Christmas. But anyway... We decided to meet up again because Jeanette is a shop owner. And you know how I love shops and have always fought for the independent shops. And the rates had trebled. And she was saying, do you know what? I'm going to have to sell this because I want to rent my shop to an independent retailer at a really good price. But this is going to knock me out of the market. And I said, you know what? I'm going in to see Greg Clark, one of the ministers. Come in and see me and let's tell him that this is pretty pants. So there we were in the House of Commons having our meeting with Greg and the many people around him taking notes. When the buzzer goes off, and it's a division bell, and it means that all the MPs have eight minutes to vote. So you hear them running like herds down the corridor. And Jeanette and I were just leaving. As we looked over the banisters, I said, let's count how many women there are in politics compared to men. Well, we lost count of the men. We lost count of looking at the sea of grey. And we counted, I think, 19 women. Shameful. Hundreds of men, 19 women. I looked then at all the women who were in politics and noticed that the ones who were there running down the corridor, nearly 50% of them didn't have children. They were able to be there because they didn't have to get home to do the tea time or the school run or get the dinner prepared or the homework. Most of the men, they don't have to worry about that. They didn't have the mental load. They didn't have to think, is it going to be spag bowl tonight or macaroni cheese? Will young little Bobby get eight out of ten again in his spelling test? Oh gosh, did I remember to put on the washing and hang it out because he's got football tomorrow. They didn't have to think about that. But we do, us women, and we still are. We compromise our careers because of it. And we end up right down the ladder when it comes to the business game. And in seats of power, we just aren't there. So what's the answer? There's about five different ones. And we're going to cover those because we need to. Otherwise, we still won't be running down those corridors or sitting in the seats of power. We'll be doing the washing, hanging it out, and making that macaroni cheese. Welcome to Work Like a Woman, the podcast. I am Emily Bryce Perkins, Culture Director of Portas Agency, and I am here with... Mary Portas. Where are we, Mary? Uh, we're in the attic, back up in our attic back, of our office, our kitchen. Back in the attic. Back in, I was meant to be on a sabbatical, like literally four days in. Can you come in and do this can talk? You, can, can you, you come? please come and do this? Can you do that? Yeah. Haven't stopped. No. So I like sabbatical, schmatical. Yeah. <laughs> no such thing. And then I saw the note that my gorgeous PA, Abby, had put on the end saying, I'm taking up some time after my book tour and all my move and I've been doing it at home to recuperate. I said, that sounds like I'm sitting in a wheelchair with a blanket over me. Can we change that? And they changed it. They took the recuperator and they just kept calling me and said, can you come in? I know. Maybe that was the line that was stopping. Maybe that was the line. <laughs> now it's out. You're just back free in rain. the old, having a cup of tea and talking and seeing if we can still change this world. Eh, Emily Bryce yeah, Perkins? we can do it. More important. We were up very early. We had a lot of clients in for a lovely chat. 
which went very well, sort of talking about a lot of the things we talk about in the book, actually, about kindness and talking about the future and community. And you could just see a lot of nodding heads and all these brilliant brands from like Eve Mattresses and Rafa and Virgin, Disney, all these people going, yeah, Facebook. this is what, they get it. We have to be more kind and decent. And on that, we have oh, to... Oh, hang on, excuse oh. me, you've forgotten. It's on the back of the fact that Philip Green and the news... Oh, so it was this talk that we did, basically talking about the future of how we're going to live and consume and kind of our agency specialises in that but it was on the news that Philip Green had got you know all these landlords to lower his rent because he doesn't have much money um, <laughs> and they were worried about him because you know look when you've got a yacht and you know his wife Tina helped out I think she put 50 million back in Lovely didn't she Tina. oh so helpful thank you and so we talked about kindness and we were talking about truth and trust and honesty and that the future of brands is going to be that and his name came up. I don't know why. I don't know that. why his name came up. But on that, we have to talk about the news. The New Zealand Prime Minister. Oh, man. The most beautiful, composed, inspirational woman in power at the moment, Jacinda Ardern. So let me just read out what she's done. If anyone didn't hear about this. I we think stuck it, was a, it on my Instagram. Oh, you did, yeah. I, I think it was about excited. a week ago. It was announced that um, New Zealand are moving their budgets away from traditional bottom line measures, Philip Green, like productivity and economic growth, and instead focusing on goals like community, cultural connection, and equity in well-being across all generations. Yeah. Now... That actually made me jump for joy and cry in equal measure because yeah. I thought, lucky you, New Zealand. Lucky you. That is female power at its best. And then on the news this morning, we've got the lineup for our future oh prime ministers. <laughs> and every name that came up, you just thought, how? How? How are we going to move forward? How? And when we talk about truth and honesty and trust, and the other thing that I heard on the news this morning was um, Theresa May on her last days is going to fight... Um, to make sure that our carbon footprint is low in this country and really try and be as sustainable as possible. And the response was, oh, yeah, that's going to help us on the world stage economically, isn't it? Oh, so basically subtext is stiff stick and stuff and F-U-C-K, the world and climate change and the fact that we're killing our planet just as long as we're on that world economic stage and going for GDP, which is the absolute opposite of what she's saying. She is going invest in social capital, invest in people, invest in how they live, care about people. And you know what? The other bit will take care of itself. So lucky you, New Zealand, and I still feel quite depressed about who we're left with well looking forward to the fact that we're doing this podcast and speaking to some brilliant inspirational yes. women does give us hope yes we listen this is really important because we need the power of the feminine we need the power of the female we need the values that we hold dear to come into business and to come into politics and that's where we can make change so please i might sound a bit depressed at the moment but actually i always think we need to keep fighting and that's interesting we've got a little fighter on today's show she's a fabulous little fighter <laughs> and um she's called caroline criado perez and this girl from well basically she popped out of university has done nothing but campaign she's unbelievable she's so if you don't know about her she is she's a campaigner and, and a writer she writer um, and a fighter writer and a fighter and she has been um she's won you know human rights campaign of the year award in 2013 when she was probably nine um and then she um she's been named an obe in the queen's birthday on Honours. She's just she just gets you know people are really impressed by her and quite right because she got the Millicent Fawcett statue in Trafalgar Square 
because she walked around going, what the fuck? They're all male statues. She also got Jane Austen on the £10 note. And there's a good anecdote around the response that that she got on that. But um, yeah. And I also love what she talks about. She talks about um, powerful feminine values and being a girl that, you know, always got on with the, the guys and thought that being one of the boys was being accepted because they took her yeah. seriously. But then realizing that, you know, guys get to an age and they still want the girl who goes, oh, <laughs> I'll have another Prosecco, please. <laughs> and that is, that is distilling it somewhat. I'm trying not to giggle and sound like a girl. <laughs> We're actually in the attic and I can see a few bottles of Prosecco to my right. Well, that no, I was you say, no, that, I'm, oh, I can't take that. But you say that I remember talking about my book, well, like a woman to someone uh, who was a, a, a friend through, through school and, um, and, you know, talking about alpha culture and how it's really, quite frankly, being responsible for everything that I think has been wrong in our world. You know, and we can list all those things that I think from wars to the politics, to suppression of women, of course, the depression and the, the lack of well-being. All of this has been because of alpha culture. And she said, the thing is, though, Mary, I still like being quite sexy with men at work. <laughs> that was it. I sort of said, do you mind oh, if I just take God. my son home now and catch up next week? <laughs> On that note, is there an interruption at the door? Oh, is there someone at the door? This is very Acorn Antiques. <laughs> Come in. Hello, how are you? Good. Who are you? So I'm Yvonne from Nat West. Oh, Yvonne, you're looking good, baby. Thank you. The um, tube was a bit late, so I was in a bit of a rush. But that's okay, because that's we okay. work like a woman and we're fluid and we go, it's all right, life happens. So okay. welcome, Yvonne, even though the tube was late. What tip are you going to give me today that can show us that Nat West works like a woman? We've got um, over 12 accelerator hubs across the UK, and those hubs are specifically dedicated to help you grow your business, to get your business finance ready, to get your business pitch ready as well, and to build up great relationships between us and you and the bank and I speak to a lot of women who probably don't know their numbers as much as they should and just don't be afraid of it get somebody in to help you if you don't know and that's what we can do I like that tip I might need that you might (laughs) need that can you help us I definitely need it (laughs) thank you very much Yvonne from NatWest that was fantastic you're welcome to find out more just search NatWest Rethinking Business and now we're going to hear from Caroline Criado Perez The first thing I did was to set up this organisation called The Women's Room, which is basically a database of female experts for the media. And that was off the back of two days in a row. The Today programme had an all-male panel talking about female bodies. So the first day was about teenage girls and contraception. And the second day was about women and their experiences of a particular breast cancer test. And they actually asked a man, if you were a woman, would you take this test? You know, because there'd been a bit of furore about the fact that they'd had two men talking about teenage girls and their contraception, when literally any woman would have been better because she's been a teenage girl. Um, so they, they did say, oh, well, we tried to find a female breast cancer expert, but we weren't able to find one. And that was just sort of a red rag to a bull. And um, so we were like, because right, we're going to find you. Because they probably were the minority. There weren't that many as well, I would imagine. If we're talking female, about stats... Female breast cancer experts. Yeah, compared to men, I would imagine there's, there's more because I, that's the way most stats are, well, isn't it? Well, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily think that. I mean, because medicine is actually... Far more women are qualifying as, as medics. Um, so I think it would have actually been... Well, it was very easy. One, it would I mean, have been an easy win. They, they found... I mean, we found them very easily on, on, on Twitter, you know, in about 
half an hour when the, what they were actually talking about as well was you know women's experiences of this test so, so again a woman taking the test anyway so we set up this database just thinking right if the media isn't going to find experts we'll find them for them and so that was the first thing I did but that's not really a campaign you know that's just a sort of that's a database so the first actual campaign I ran was when the Bank of England announced that they were removing the only female historical figure from the back of our banknotes it was Elizabeth Fry on the fibre and replacing her with Winston Churchill and that meant that it was going to be an all-male lineup. I started the campaign genuinely assuming, well, they just haven't realised, you know, it hasn't occurred to them because it's quite normal. We don't actually notice when things are all male because we're so used to it. Most things are all male. So I genuinely thought, well, I'll just point this out and they'll say, oh, yeah, good point. Sorry, we'll we'll sort that. (laughs) Surprisingly. Who did you you target? Who did you get in touch with? I mean, how did you like, dear Bank of England? Yes, dear Bank of England, (laughs) don't be a twat. Um, (laughs) um, So I started a petition. And it was directed at the governor of the Bank of England. Incidentally, there has never been a female governor of the Bank of England since it was set up in 1694. I mean, this is not surprising to me. (laughs) It's a lovely stat, isn't it? You know, and when you look, and also today, just one out of the nine members of its current committee is a woman. Mm. So you had a battle on your hands. I did. Um, uh, Yeah, so set up this petition to the uh, the governor who at the time was uh, Mervyn King. I sound quite like Mervyn King. Do I, you? I don't know. I always thought he would be... A, I like... But was he? I mean, you, you obviously I mean, worked well, with him. He, I, I found him someone that I could think, oh, I could sit and talk with you. I'm not sure I... It's interesting. Oh, really? You know, that's okay, an interesting got that wrong. I did. Um, you know, <laughs> and you're entitled to it. <laughs> OK, it was obviously not the case. So. Well, I mean, I just thought the way he responded to the campaign was so patronising, so dismissive and he actually made the absolutely asinine comment that, oh well the Queen's on the banknotes so, you know, what are the women complaining about? You're covered. That's it, done. Yeah, because the Queen obviously had to really strive to be Queen and any any girl who really works hard can become Queen. Right, Mervyn? No. It's so wonderful, isn't it? It was like when I was looking at some of the stats for my book and um, and when all the gender pay gap stuff was happening, some of the responses from companies with on how many women you've got, literally one of them said, we already have one. That's mm. it. We've done that. We've ticked that box. One woman. And so there you are. Mervyn came back with the Queen. And yeah. as you're right, she, she earned that, didn't yeah. she, through yeah. what she'd achieved. Hard work. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, eventually the Bank of England caved and they announced that they were going to put Jane Austen on the tenor. It does give me a little thrill every time I pull a tenor out of my wallet. Now, listen, one of the um, guests I've had on before talked about the social editing that happens to us all when we're young women. And Mm -hmm. it was really interesting. I found it fascinating Mm. Um, that it happens at about seven, you know. And um, so that's why we end up, you know, believing and seeing the power of the male and, Mm. and is that we start to behave often with all the codes that we see around us. Before mm-hmm. that, we're not aware and we're being ourselves and it's yeah. slightly wonderful. And well, then we... I mean, arguably it happens earlier. A study that came out, must have been the year before last now, which looked at how early it is that girls start believing that brilliance is a male thing, that genius is a male thing. And they got five-year-old boys and girls were offered this game to play for really, really smart kids. And at the age of five, boys and girls were both likely to want to play with it. But by the time the girls turned six, they felt that it was a boys' game. 
that's it done, game over. Yeah. I did a whole documentary on Barbie um, and tried to get my little son, age five, to play with it. And that was just, you know, no way was that going to happen. Mm. And yet I left the Barbies in his box. I mean, we'd put a couple of scraggly little dolls in before, you know. Mm. Um, and I remember just cooking in the kitchen once and looking around and there he was gaily playing with it. Mm. But he was aware that he would say no to me. That's mm. a girl's game. Yeah. It is really tragic. We have to change it. You grew up in the 90s with the Ladettes and the Spice Girls. Yes, then. I did. did you <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and you kind of instinctively felt that feminists were bad women. Um, and um, Well, they were just embarrassing and making us look bad. And, and you know... Give, tell you me, give me examples of that, though. Well, you have that instinctive understanding, you know, that you were talking about from you know from whatever age it happens that men are the ones with the power and men laugh at feminists and say that they are ridiculous and and they imbue them with all the stereotypes that are so negative for women you know screechy strident bossy nagging don't um, shave their legs right yeah so not not attractive either and obviously yeah. it's very important for a woman to be attractive same happens in sexuality. They often see lesbians unattractive, butch, out there. Well, yeah, if gay you're a feminist, men, beautiful. you're... Right, yeah. Everyone wants a gay man as a friend. Yeah. They're fun. They're God, ca- that's so interesting. Have you never thought of that one? Before. Have you not thought? There's the no. hierarchy of where it stands and how we are... Um, there's a word for it, and I don't know the word, and I, uh, but basically... Being a white male, you're at the top of the tree. Yeah. So white male heterosexual, number one. Yeah. Followed by white gay male, mm. smart, good-looking, go-getting, mm. not not camp. Mm. Then it goes into the camp guys because they're fun still to be around. They're funny, they're witty, mm. and they're in touch with them for themselves. Right down at there are the lesbians. Mm. And often they've seen that the fact of young women wanting to actually be transgender and change their sex is because it would be better for them to say, I am that, I think I'm a boy, rather than saying, actually, I'm a gay young woman. Isn't that shocking? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just Isn't that shocking? Depressing. Yeah. One of the things that I talk about, well, the most important thing that I, I believe, um, having been in business and taken on the codes of alpha, mm-hmm. you did at a young age to sort of say, I'm, I'm not one of those girly girls. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, in the code. I'm not yeah. in the tribal uniform. Well, it's uniform. the male default, it's which the is exactly default. the issue. And, you know, when you... Grace when and you, Perry talks very eloquently about yes. this. Have you read Descent yes. of Man? Yeah. yeah. <clears> and And... You know, what you were saying about what's attractive. Well, I think women are sold these th- these totally incompatible aims. So I'm going back to what I was being told by boys in the 90s, right? That most women are trivial and hysterical and jealous, etc. And that is unattractive. But you, I can talk politics with you and you're interesting. We can have a debate and you just feel so flattered. Oh, God, I'm so amazing. But actually, it turns out that they don't really like that. You know, and, and and there is this. So they don't want to be with the woman. They, that they don't want to be with the woman that challenges them. Yes. You know, they sort yes. of think that's sexy, but then ultimately, when it comes down to it, the woman that they want to be with is a woman who, as Virginia Woolf says, magnifies them back to themselves twice their real size. You know, the idea that women are this looking glass that make men feel good about themselves. So you can sort of have like a, a little bit of challenging, a little bit of political you know, debate to sort of know that you're worth sort of talking to. But then I come in with my big manly opinions. And um, anyway, this is just me now talking about my dating life. So. <laughs> <laughs> what messaging are we giving to young men that they believe that that is the right well, choice Well, what you were them? saying about, you know, what you did when you 
to get to the top at work, mm. you know, it's terrible for men as well. Of course you know, it Because is. men, of course, are as just as human as women are. And they also have emotions other than just anger. Um, but, you know, this, this sort of male code, this male default way of working, which presumes that, you know, it's built around the idea of a male breadwinner with no caring responsibilities. And he goes out to work and wifey stays at home and looks after the kids and looks after the home. Obviously, that model is entirely outdated and was only ever relevant to a small subsection of the population anyway. But it never accounted for men having emotions and caring for people too. He never accounted for, there's a stat in my book where you look at, you know, when if a, a woman doesn't get a job or isn't earning as much as a husband, it doesn't bother her anywhere near as much mm. as if a guy is earning less or his job he hasn't been able to be successful mm. in. The effect is so much bigger. So, But I know, think it's like what I was mm. saying about, you know, the whole is she going to stand up to me in arguments thing. It's that similar thing of the way we've taught masculinity the way we've taught men this is what a successful man looks like is that he's better than women he's powerful he is dominant over women and so if a woman demonstrates political capital or financial capital above his it makes him feel emasculated and that is something that we're teaching men. And of course, it doesn't have it's still to be happening, that way. Though. It's still Absolutely happening. Still we, happening. Uh, and I don't think it, it's moved on. And there is a slight worry that I have. There's that I genuinely believe the power of the female and the strength will push through eventually. Mm. Uh, um, it won't be in my lifetime. It probably won't be in yours. But it will come through. And I worry about young men and I worry about men in the future and their sense of themselves because I don't think that that is being dealt with at all. Uh, Jude Kelly, who did The Women of the World, um, who I love, she mm. started this at the South Bank, started to do one on men and men talking about men issues. And it was one of the most wonderful things to listen to, you know, someone like Jon Snow, the newsreader, talking mm. about it. I mean, where are the role models of men being vulnerable? Mm. In, in the, uh, look, Let's look at it. You know, it, it I, I can't even start to think of that possibly you know could be I mean mm. Grayson mm. I think of Grayson Perry coming and dressing as Claire and being well he's an artist so he's mm. in the art world so that kind of doesn't <laughs> fit so you know we have a huge job to do a, a huge job to do and we have to stand up and we have to be the voice because we were talking earlier about being as true to yourself that is where the power is mm. the power is in your truth and being who you are and that in itself is so much more attractive. Mm. It might be not attractive to a certain amount of men. Have to let that one go. <laughs> or leak your stamps on the other side like I did. Um, what would success look like to you? Because a lot of people talk about feminism in different ways. What is success? What is feminism to you? And what would success look like in the world today? God, I mean, I just don't think we could even imagine what it would look like because it would just be so transformative. Because the whole world, everything in it, is designed to accommodate male bodies and typical male lifestyle patterns. And there are certain things we can think of, like, for example, medication would cater the, for the female body as well as it does for the male body. Women wouldn't be more likely to die of a heart attack. Wouldn't, women wouldn't be more likely to die if they're in a car crash. So, you know, all those... What you mean on the car crash is that, that cars were designed around the male body? Yes, so they were designed around the 50th percentile male, using a 50th percentile male as a car crash test dummy. And the result is that women don't sit in what's called the standard seating position because we have to reach the pedals and see over the dashboard. But that 
means that we are at higher risk in a frontal collision. So women are 47% more likely to be seriously injured and 17% more likely to die if they're in a car crash. You know, the economy would be completely different. It would account for women's unpaid care work, which, by the way, when they were coming up with GDP, they discussed the fact that women's unpaid care work does have an economic value. You know, that's never been disputed, but they just decided not to measure it because as with all the other decisions, like not measuring women in cars and not measuring women in medicine, you know, it was just women are too complicated. So women would be accounted for and it would completely transform the way the world is designed from the workplace to the economy to the tools that we use to the medication that we take to the healthcare we receive. Because, I mean, one of the fascinating areas, I think, is the tech world, because that is where all the new sort of strides and new inventions are being made. And at the moment, because the majority of people who get funding are men and most of the data we have in the world is male, it's much easier for the men to get funding as well. And they are pitching to men who understand men's needs. But when you have female entrepreneurs, it's much harder for them to get whatever it is that they want to get funded. funded. And second of all, they lack the data to prove that there's a gap in the market, which they need because they're trying to convince men. And so men need data to prove that you need a breast pump that is not incredibly uncomfortable to use. Whereas if you're pitching to a female entrepreneur who's had kids, she knows that what's out there is terrible and this would be a massive bestseller. But yet female entrepreneurs who realised this were struggling to get funding. There are so many ideas that women could be having and getting money for and developing and we could be using that aren't happening yet. And I don't know what those things will be there I mean they could be incredible that's the beauty of it do you know that the tech world was originally if you went back to it it was a whole female world of coding yes so you go back to the war it was the women did a little bit of coding the minute when it started well, the women the were 80s, the original computers they were the original computers and the minute it started to be the future in the 80s, mm. the male drove in and the wages went up by 40%. Mm. But what I Can find fascinating... Can we talk about that? Can we just talk yeah. about that, right? <laughs> How shocking is that? And likewise, when women started to go into areas that used to be dominated by men, like park keepers in America, there's a study, it dropped the wages mm. by about 28%. Well, this is what shocked me so much into writing the book actually was discovering that we weren't collecting data on women in medicine that science was so male biased you know this thing that we're taught is so objective and that women are dying as a result you know and having terrible health care and far more side effects from medication and all these terrible things that are happening and I just couldn't believe that nobody knew about this and we weren't talking about it and it wasn't a front page scandal you know it just it was so shocking and as you say like we don't know about it young women don't know about it I didn't know about it growing up I was just told feminism is for shouty harridans who you know aren't good enough to make their own way in the workplace and so have to pull men down no actually women are dying <laughs> because of this can you answer me I don't know I haven't looked at it as a research thing but that feminism of the 60s was mm. way out there and then it sort of dwindled didn't mm. it Did, was it why do you know why that was I think backlash you think it was backlash? It was absolutely backlash. I mean, this is what, if you look at, you know, the past century, you see a resurgences of feminism and then the the forces of conservatism and patriarchy fight back. So, you know, you've got the first wave, which is the suffragists and suffragettes, and they did this amazing thing where they got the vote. 
you know, he had this incredibly conservative backlash of the 40s and 50s where women were met told, get back into the home. I think that was the worst time ever to be a woman. I mean, I'm sure there was many before, but I do look at that time. And, of course, I was a child of the 60s, so mm. I grew up watching TV, which mm. was that, with literally the penny, the mm. madmen world. Yeah. It was a shocking time to be a woman. And But then so out of that grew the 60s incredibly revolution. radical yeah. 60s and 70s feminists who were so inspiring. Yeah, of course. They just, Gloria Stein and we were talking about. But I mean, they just were so unapologetic. Germaine, they made Rosie these, Boycott. Right. But I don't. We we're not we're not like that now. My very good friend Helen Lewis is writing a book called Difficult Women, which is basically about the tyranny of niceness, and how for women to be seen as heroines, they have to have been perfect, um, and men don't have that. That isn't something that men have to do. They don't have to. You know, you can of be course. an amazing hero and have been flawed. The flawed hero, you know. Oh, but you picture just, a man when you hear let's that. Let's look at all the sirs that have been knighted to a total bollocking right. idiots have just been knighted for making money and yeah. being you know aggressive assholes but the feminists and touching the someone up on the way didn't seem to care about that somehow in that era they didn't care about being nice and they made these radical demands and that is i think what we're missing from feminism right now is we're all too scared about being likable and nice okay so like that, even that's cheryl sandberg's of lean in yeah. is all about i mean leaning I, into their culture it is you know i th- I think she's had an unfair press for that book because when you read it, she does acknowledge those issues. She does say, yes, this isn't perfect, but, you know, you kind of got to suck it up, blah, blah, blah. And she talks about how women are sort of damned if they do and damned if they don't. But nevertheless, the overriding message of the book is suck it up, ladies, you know, lean Ugh, into this culture. So and And they're going to think you're a bitch, so just smile. Um, and, and I think that's incredibly damaging because actually what we're asking for isn't nice. We're asking men to give something up. Yeah. And and we're going to give them something in return. But I think we're asking for, It's not nice. We don't need to be nice. I think we're asking for fair and kind. Yeah. Fair and kind. Mm. I think kindness is going to be a new commercial way. We're starting to see it with business and brands. The people that are, are behaving with integrity and decency mm. are breaking through. And a lot of those are becoming new businesses that are just going, I'm just not going to work like those old bastards mm. and those old dinosaurs who made this world so bad. So I do have hope, but I think we need a bigger voice. And we need to get back to that strident voice that we had in the 60s and 70s. Mm. I also have a theory that Margaret Thatcher suppressed that. She came into power and she literally put trousers on. Well, yeah, she yeah. lent yeah, in. She lent in <laughs> and she strangled and beat the crap out of people. And it was like, oh, look, there's one. She's a woman. And mm. I think we went back radically. I think we really do. So I do hold that at her door. I, I think like the way you were talking around the representation of um, women in the 90s, Caroline and I, grew up, we grew up around the same mm. time. I was thinking about in terms of eco-warriors, the similar thing has happened. So in the 90s, mm. they were represented in a way where they were always really dishevelled, looked like shit. Everyone was sort mm. of calling them out, thinking they were you know they smell whatever well, it's always well, like I don't scenes. care burn my bra yeah, exactly. let my tits hang and down it was, same, Why? it was the same you know with feminists as well that sort of you know I'll let them moan over there let's mm. ignore them now look at how everyone is suddenly taking on board looking mm. after the planet the environment you've suddenly got this resurgence I think there is this fourth wave feminism where it is kind of cool but mm. I totally get that where you need to get a bit angry and you know social media is a brilliant thing and you've obviously used that can you talk a little bit about how you've kind of engaged that with your feminism of the what year are we now 2019 <laughs> um well i mean i think social media has been invaluable to feminism and it's obviously complex because it enables the most horrific misogyny but in terms of feminism social media has given women a voice 
and has allowed them to sort of bypass traditional gatekeepers. And it's sort of come full circle in a way because it started off through social media. The media, you know, which is very male dominated, suddenly realised, oh, there's all these women and women are reading them and maybe we should use that in our own newspapers to try and sell stuff. Now women's voices are represented a bit better in traditional media. But I don't think that would have happened without the explosion of blogging and microblogging um, and women just being able to talk amongst themselves and create these huge projects like Everyday Sexism, which created this whole new way of talking and understanding about what women experience as they just navigate the world, as they just go to work. You know, we weren't even talking about as women. I remember watching one debate unfold on Twitter of everyday sexism, talking about women's experiences of going out clubbing and watching it and suddenly remembering, you know, how I used to go out. I used to go to Fabric a lot and Friday night was breakbeat and Saturday night was... Uh, house. The breakbeat night was much better, except the men were much more aggro because they were sort of a drunk post-work crowd, whereas Saturday lot were just high on drugs and so they were just (laughs) sort of... But, you know, on Friday you got groped and, you know, there was this sense of, well, I have to choose whether I want to get groped or whether I want to, you know, listen to the music that I particularly want to listen to and not questioning that, you know, and sort of knowing that well, I have to figure out a way to get away from a guy who's groping me without angering him and not making a big deal of it. And again, not questioning that and it not occurring to me that this was not the way it had to be. It was just, that was just the way thing, things were. You didn't question it. I don't remember talking to my friends about it. And I saw this thread and I just thought, how did I just accept that? We all just accepted we all that. We all did. We all accepted it in the workplace. But this is so amazing because... Women won't accept that anymore because we're all talking about it. That is the great thing. This is the window. I genuinely believe the window is here. And the more that we get together, the more of us that open this up, the more that we talk about it, the more that we challenge it, that window is going to be flung so wide open. It becomes a door and it becomes a gateway and it just gets bigger and bigger. I came to it quite late. My years, when I look back on what I put up with in the workplace, mm. with constant the power of men and accepting that that is where power was. And, you know, when we talk about the social editing, I remember sort of as a child, you know, even my father coming in from work, quiet and down, daddy's mm. home from work, he's got to do his books, you know, he's going to sit. And all, that's where I saw power. Mm. That's where I saw. When you say you accepted it, mm. do you mean as in you did think... I don't like this, but just thought you couldn't no, complain. or didn't you just even didn't think even I didn't yeah. even like... But that's I, what's so fascinating. I, yeah, I didn't oh, even yeah. think that I... I remember getting married and the chairman of the group, as I was going up the escalator and I was working in Harvey Nichols, touched my backside and said, oh, Miss... Because my surname was now Portas. And he went, Miss Portas, I think. Oh, Literally. God, that's vile. But, you know, you just sort of, that is what happens. There's a sort of, you always sort of go, they can't help themselves. I've always thought, I've internally thought that. Mm. And I think there's a something, like we're saying, like women kind of moving around and shape-shifting to try and make room for men. And Mm. I've always had that, well, you know, they can't really help themselves. And that's my fault for thinking, you know, because not every man, I'm now married to a man who's definitely not like that. Yeah. And I think that's on us as well, just to sort of go, like, we should call it out, obviously, because they don't know any different. And the the longer we carry on and we're... Implicit, but I, I mean, it's, it's just sort of easier and more relaxing not to. I feel very bad, actually, for this writer because I have ranted about her article so many times and I'm going to rant about it again. But there was this article on The Pool a couple of years ago. Basically, the, the premise of the article was, bless men, they just don't really see mess, you know. They, they can't be expected to clean up after themselves. And, you know, there's the silly little men. And she was talking, as, as evidence for this, she was talking about her boyfriend 
who had had a bowl of cereal and she had asked him to wash up his bowl. So he washed up his bowl, but not the spoon. And she sort of delivers this as a, lol, so funny, bless him. (laughs) He He has to be told everything. And I just thought, no, you know, this man does not respect you. He knows he has to wash up that spoon. He's not a baby. You know, this is a guy in his, I don't know, 20s or 30s. He knows he has to wash up the spoon. He just thinks, oh, well, she'll do it because he doesn't respect her. And I understand that it's easier to just think, oh, men are useless, isn't that funny, than to think, wow, this guy that I love literally doesn't respect me. But we have to wake up to that fact that when a man treats you in that way, he doesn't respect you and he doesn't deserve you. I talk about that in the back of the book. I've done, you know, tips to 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds and 40-year-olds, and one of those is, you know, don't think you're doing well with a guy just because he might help clearing the table at the end of the meal. We, mm. we, we've got bigger, bigger mountains to climb on this. We have to keep fighting. You have to keep pushing for change. Mm-hmm. You've got to promise me you're going to do that. Because oh, you've got oh, many you mean more I years. personally yeah. have to, right? Yeah, no. of course you do. <laughs> I mean, I can't help myself, so don't worry about that. And That's do you <laughs> have anywhere where people can join you? Or do you have a sort of group of women where they, go, or they can connect in with you? I've got my Twitter account, I suppose. Yes. The most important thing, actually, is that they buy my book, Mary. Okay. <laughs> and the name of your book, Come on, tell me your book, Caroline. Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men. Caroline, thank you so much. Thank you. You've got news on Caroline. I do. So um, at the end of the, of the um, interview then, Caroline mentioned her book, Invisible Women, and a, an MP, Helen Goodman, a Labour MP for Bishop Auckland... I don't know where the fuck that is. Oh, we're back in New Zealand. You know where that is? <laughs> New Zealand. <laughs> anyway, an MP called Helen Goodman tweeted Caroline this week with a link of her talking in Parliament using some of the content from Caroline's book. Stats around like the fact that women, a woman, if a woman is in a car crash, she's 17% more likely to die than a man because vehicles are not designed. She read that in Caroline's book. Next thing, she's in Parliament and she tweeted Caroline about it. That's what Caroline does. She really does affect change. It's incredible. Caroline, we're behind you. And we need people like you, but we need more people to join her. We need to come together. When I talked with you, Caroline, I thought about Margaret Mead and her quote that I have in many of my Mary's Living and Given charity shops. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Chapeau, and let's keep going. Next week, we have a man. That's right. We have the CEO of Greg's, Roger Whiteside, who definitely works like a woman. Really looking forward to that. Please do remember to subscribe and like. And warm up your sausage rolls. <laughs>